1: Good afternoon, everybody. Uneducated economist here. So we're back with Keta from Madison Lumber Reporter. Uh, very great topic, uh, topics that we covered yesterday. Had a great uh interview, about a half an hour long. Go down into the description to find the link to part one of this uh of this interview. This is gonna be part two. Uh we're gonna start off by talking about pricing in this one. So uh everybody wants to know what's gonna happen with pricing? Where were we? Where are we headed?
0: Right, and so what i'm going to say because uh, yesterday we talked a little bit about the past couple of years compared to historically and the seasonal trend that we got used to that didn't really happen in the past couple of years so we don't know if it's going to happen this year but one thing that i have noticed in the price trend like the lines on my graphs is that where we are right now like in august of this year 2022 the two lines are matching where Last uh, two years ago was ending 2020. So, all of the volatility that we were talking about yesterday was like 2021 going so crazy high and then low again. Let's maybe put that aside and look at 2020 as potentially sort of like a baseline. And of course, nobody knows what's going to happen through the rest of this year. But one thing that I can say is that all of that huge volatility that we saw is not going to happen right now. Uh, we've got some really good stability. Uh, I did mention yesterday how West Fraser announced a couple of weeks ago they're taking Fraser Lakes basically offline. They, they said curtail, but it's going to close that mill. Uh, today, Conifex announced McKenzie, and that is, if I remember correctly, 26 million board feet in six weeks' closure that's going to be taken out of production. So that's why I'm saying we're not going to have that much volatility and i do expect prices to be somewhat stable compared to where they are right now because the mills are responding a lot more quickly than they used to by taking production offline and keeping that supply demand balance in better form
1: all right so pretty much once the pretty much the price of the futures or cash price even once it drops to a particular level, the mills are just no longer going to be producing at that point, and that's when they start going into curtailment. Now, West Fraser, this is a huge company. I mean, West Fraser is like what the biggest mill, or, or I mean, they got to be one of the top three, right?
0: Yeah, there's three that are sort of like in the works for being the top three, and that's Canfor, Interfor, and West Fraser. Uh, they are definitely between them the entire industry here in British Columbia. You know. Uh, everyone else put together is not as big as even one of them right mm-hmm. and due to like what we were talking about yesterday with the beetle kill and the reduction in the timber supply over the past several many years these three companies have been investing in uh, sawmill buying in the U.S. south so they're diversifying uh, they still have their western spruce pine fir but they're also southern yellow pine producers they're producing U.S. lumber in the U.S and they don't have to pay duty on that wood, okay? So the um, size of the companies with those really big mills that are taking curtailments is significant and speaks to the ability to respond. And so when you have the past couple of years where demand just went nuts and really nobody was prepared like even the mills nobody knew that was going to happen scrambling like i said yesterday it takes you know six months to secure timber supply get the logs into the mill trying to bring demand up to trying to bring supply up to what that demand spike now we have like a moderating where it's leveling off and they're doing the, the same response to curtail and so the prices should moderate within like a reasonable range which is sort of able for uh, the user the builders the retailers the uh, homeowners to make their plans it's not going to triple right and so for normal time like historically there's a seasonality to lumber prices and demand and uh, usually it goes sort of around February Prices start to firm up, and that's because the very large buyers of lumber, the U.S. home builders, the large home building companies, they make their purchases early in the year for their planned projects because they want the wood that they need on the ground before they start building those big uh, developments. So February, March, April, prices are quite strong. Somewhere by about June, they start to soften because most people already have the wood that they, or at least have ordered the wood that they need. And then uh, what we like to say is Labor Day is the beginning of the end, and U.S. Thanksgiving is the end of the end. By the time you get to U.S. Thanksgiving and winter, not a lot of people break ground on a new home. There's not a lot of construction going on. Sawmills are curtailing, it's freezing, all that kind of stuff, and prices drop. In the last two years, we did not have that cycle. And the realtors are also saying that they didn't have seasonal cycle. Like people going on open houses for January 1st, like that's not normal. So traditional seasonality hasn't been in play for the past couple of years. And we don't know if that's now gone or it's just temporary, but the real volatility in response to these big changes in society that we had in the past couple of years does seem to be behind us. Right.
1: So if you were to call a bottom, where do you think that is? I know obviously predicting is always kind of a tricky thing to try and do. But if there was a bottom in the pricing of of lumber, at least in the futures or in the cash price at the mill, when do you think that would be? Because there's obviously a lag before it hits the retail. So when could the customers or the people out there looking to do projects, if they were anticipating on timing, where could they expect the low to be and where would their timing be for like starting their projects?
0: Yeah. The, the low from the mills is going to be like November.
1: In November. Okay.
0: And, and futures, you you just need to really be careful because, because technically futures only matters when the contract is closing. So when people look at futures and I suggest this to you as well, when you're doing your uh, research, the price is one thing, but the volumes tells you everything. So if, Remember how I was saying yesterday when the price of lumber went to 1700, but not a lot of wood was sold at that level. So same thing with futures. Today it's down, it's uh, somewhere under 500. There's like eight trades, right? Not a lot of people are actually doing it. And, And there's more volumes in the November contract closing November 15th than there is in the current contract closing September 15th. So futures price really only matters when when a contract closes, it can go almost to anything that it wants in that month and a half, three months in between, right? So it's legislated that at the end of a contract, futures has to be within $1 of cash during the contract. Yeah, right. So whoever's on futures right now, the people who were shorting or the people who were there are gonna scramble because cash is like 600, Right And Futures is not even 500 and they have a little over two weeks to sort that out, right? And you'll see by the time it comes to, you know, September 14th, almost all of the volumes are going to be in the November, they're already moving into January right now. And so for cash with a wholesaler price print, uh, the bottom for your benchmark Western Spruce 2x4, is literally the $500 that we were talking about, because that is the cost of production. So during all that time from like 06 to 2017, when housing was depressed and two by fours were around 250, that was sort of cost a little bit below cost of production at that time. So now we know the floor and we know that the mills are uh, more responsive where they will curtail. Whereas, you know, 10 years ago, they just kept running because they figured this is a short term thing. Uh, And so we can say, you know, emphatically that the price is not going to drop altogether below 500. I would say the range for where's the price going to be during that cycle from, you know, February to Labor Day and et cetera, is between 600 and Six
1: Six to 800 per thousand. And, you know, at six to 800 per thousand, I mean, this to me. Have been having been in the game a long time, and obviously there was cheaper lumber in the past. That doesn't seem out of the realms of what would be normal now. Like, that to me seems like a very normalish price to be between six and eight hundred. Um, so like, even now, when we're seeing the you know the cash price and the lumber futures price dropping as much as it has, I mean, between that six and five hundred per thousand, I mean, really, this isn't a bad time to even start thinking about doing your projects. I mean, this is this is our time, right?
0: Yeah, like unless you want to be, if someone is asking as a person, unless you want to be out there putting a deck together in November, yeah, I would I would look now or uh, keep an eye like the day after the week after Labor Day, I would I would look the week after Labor Day and pretty much know that that's where uh, things are going to land. Um, and again, for uh, cash or print price is volumes, and so. You know, when people were like, it's just the questions and 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 people starting to find out about lumber that never knew anything about it before. You can't just learn it in five minutes. Right. And um, I had some conversations back in, you know, mid 2020 when the price was just going crazy. And, and some people were like, oh, well, I'm going to invest. Like I'm going to buy West Fraser shares or I'm going to buy, you know, whoever, uh, buy some Timberland or whatever. And it's like, the, Amount of money that they're going to make by selling four sticks at seventeen hundred dollars? No, they want the price like let's say the six hundred that we're talking about, and sell hundreds of rail cars. That's what they want. They don't. It's not a thing where the sawmills are like, okay, I'm going to, you know, put the price into some insane level and and I'm going to make a bunch of money because you're not going to make people are going to delay projects, switch to other materials all kinds of things, right? Cancel outright. Um, So a nice medium level, like what you're saying, it doesn't seem that high, 600 to 800, where the market can bear and they can keep their mill running at like a good capacity, like 80%, 90%, and sell a lot of wood at that price.
1: so let's kind of switch gears here a little bit. Let's talk about the uh, the building industry right now. So there's a lot of numbers and a lot of information coming out about the housing, um, hearing and reading articles about housing recession. What are your views? What do you see happening coming into the next year, a couple of years? What do you think is going to happen here with the housing market, especially in the new construction?
0: Well, yeah, for sure. And I do a press release every month when the housing starts comes out. I correlate that to my the top three benchmark lumber prices, eastern spruce, western spruce, southern pine. And there is it's a very good leading indicator. The lumber prices that I do come out every week for that week and the housing starts comes out for the previous month. So it's like six weeks ago at the soonest. Right. Um, Something that people should really. Pay attention to is like you see the press you see the news release and it says housing starts down compared to last month okay well first of all the the first six months of this year had more housing starts than the first six months of last year, okay so month over month doesn't necessarily tell you anything, and a lot of times when when the next release comes out, it says last month adjusted and it's adjusted up okay because they they get the data they get more data that comes in and they are better able to do their work that they make into get that one number right so there is a underlying pent up demand for housing that is a fact and it has nothing to do with covid or any of these uh supply chain and all of these situations that we're talking about the um Largest cohort of first-time home buyer right now is millennials, and we are really at the beginning. Uh, you know, thirty years old, just the beginning edge of that generation uh, to be first-time home buyer. So, apart from everything else, interest rate, inflation, uh, we're not in a recession. I wouldn't call it a recession. I know that some people say that uh, we are in a little bit of a slowdown, uh, but we ha- but we were very heated up. Before that, right? So the housing outlook is quite good. The thing is that the appetite of the millennials is not the traditional single family home with a yard. They are much more interested in a community, a multifamily a condo type thing with a um, going to the community center, going to the school, having a a store there, riding their bikes, this kind of thing, not about mowing the lawn, not about this kind of thing, right? So uh, these kind of um, townhome and condo construction are uh, the bottom two floors are concrete, and then the top three floors are wood. And when you have that ratio of multifamily to single family, but if the volume of the multifamily does go up to the point where there's enough, that maybe it's the same amount of wood as if there was a smaller amount of single family, right? So we're in a time of transition and this to me is like fascinating. I look at it you know, basically every day. Uh, we're not gonna be in a situation where we're having you know, 2.5 million housing starts as we were in that problem during 03, 04, 05. Um, but we're also not in a situation where we have less than 1 million where it wasn't enough.
1: It's a, you know, it's really interesting to think about um, the new construction market, especially when you start talking into the multi, multi-families or multi-residential living areas, condominiums or apartment complexes. Um, something that I have been uh, following, and I think this is probably going to turn into a fairly good or fairly big building trend, and that's the cross-laminated timber industries, oh. building high-rises completely out of wood. What do you think about this?
0: That is the future those are that all the things, to, right? yeah. Yeah. advanced building materials in engineered wood so remember yesterday how we talked really quick about the peeler log and the number two saw log mm-hmm. this, this is the feedstock so dimension lumber in order to meet the building code uh in order to meet the grade of what kind of wood is it needs to come from a number two saw log um but there's a lot of different kind of logs there's pulp logs there's peeler logs like i was saying right so Cross laminated (CLT), LVL, uh, laminated veneer lumber (LSL), laminated strand lumber, glue lam, glue laminated lumber, are all made from sheets. You take the log, you put it. It's it's not a um, saw blade, it's a long knife, and the and lengthwise the log is rolled and it peels a long long piece. It's then cut into sections and glued together in different forms. So CLT, cross laminated, is glued together on a 45 degree angle. Part of it is using the resin from the tree, a little bit of this other glue material. I think they get it from China. And then it can be made into different forms. It is structurally as strong as steel. It doesn't burn. It's not a timber. Okay, people remember, oh, it's timber fire. It's not like that. It chars on the outside. And it it has the ability to support a structure that doesn't need that sort of grid where you, you're used to in concrete buildings where um, the girders are spaced a certain amount and you always have to have walls. There's it, it can create a much more open concept type. So they use them like for community centers and universities and stuff like that. So the reason I get excited about it is because this, this feedstock is not impacted by the reduction of the timber supply from the pine beetle. There's a different pricing structure for peeler logs as compared to number two saw logs, is everybody goes after the number two saw log and the poor little peeler log is like like considered garbage or whatever. And what you sell it for is more than what you sell it to by four.
1: Wow. Crazy. Um so this is i didn't really thought about it this way so this is actually taking an inferior kind of product and making it a better product out of it right you're taking the the lesser of the trees that are available for sawing up to lumber and you actually peel them up and make cross laminated timbers or some other engineered product out of it this is pretty cool so it actually takes advantage of of a lesser product to make a better product out of it that's really cool i never thought about that one before
0: so the thing is that it needs a totally new remember how i was saying yesterday West Fraser closed Fraser Lakes, that's never going to reopen, but it, unless it's something else, you can't, like, you'd have to completely take out all the sawmill equipment and put brand, like, completely different equipment in, because it's not a, a manufacturing process like a sawmill. It's a completely different, like a panel mill, right? Like a OSB or plywood mill is not a sawmill. It's a totally different kind of mill. It uses a totally different kind of tree, but the process is completely different. So new machinery, everything, right? But the future is glorious. Yeah, it's... It's an inferior uh tree. It doesn't need to be exactly straight all the way through. Like when you okay, say you're in your retail yard, right? Yeah. And someone's like, Well, I'm, you know, making my entrance way. And you're like, well, here's some beautiful Western spruce two by four, like high grade, because everybody's gonna see this, but they're like, I'm doing my basement. And you're like, oh, I've got some number four plywood over here, and just paint over it, nobody's gonna see that. Kind of that's the same idea. The trees they can be more spindly and crooked and like this because it's not going to be appearance right it's going to be made into something else and it opens up the timber supply a lot for something that's i wouldn't say lower quality like lower it's just underutilized and so there's a lot of it available
1: yeah and that's and, uh, sorry
0: and, and the oh, other thing is yeah. It, they cannot get enough of it in Asia, like that's what BC is doing right now is we're exporting the, f- the few of these advanced mills that are in BC and some of them are also down the coast like Washington State and Oregon are exporting to Asia because they cannot get enough of it. If you can imagine, there's already a market and then it's uh, breaking in. Uh, it's already in uh, US and Australia, Japan and breaking into uh, North America. The building code for using the, these materials has been in place for a while. It was a matter of training the architects and the builders and getting the firefighters on board. The so firefighters are used to, we can't have higher than six-story wood buildings because our ladders don't go. Right. Oh. But if you have if you're using CLT, which which doesn't burn, so this training process has been going on and it's being adopted now and it's starting to catch on, especially like um. Architects on the U.S. Eastern Seaboard, you know, they're, they're very gung-ho on this, and it's it's got a very bright future.
1: Yeah, and um, not that I'm really um, a big believer in the whole green movement and that kind of thing going on, but this is being sold as a green product. Um, It is an environmental carbon
0: like it is uh, like
1: what is a carbon locking product is pretty much once the tree is grown, it locks the carbon up. And unless it burns or rots, it stays locked into the. So as concrete and steel is a very carbon intrusive, this is not like this is a very green product. And I think it's going to be sold as that coming into the future. It's going to be a popular product for that reason.
0: Well, it's it's one of the it's one of the selling points. And it has two sides of it. All of the carbon accounting, has it's on two sides of a ledger. One is how much carbon are you expending and how much carbon are you storing? So for the uh, timber, like these underutilized stands, a lot of this kind of wood does not have a very long lifespan. Like the whole, when people talk about old growth, right? We all love the thousand-year-old cedar tree and the 300-year-old Douglas fir tree. Most timber lives in Northern Canada, 80 years, in the US South, 35 years. If it's not used, it is going to uh, come down to wind, to storm, to pests, to fire and release that carbon. Um, If it's uh, harvested and manufactured into something like a house, especially, which usually is about hundred years worth of time, that's locking in that carbon and they'll be replanting. A growing tree absorbs a lot more carbon dioxide than a grown tree. So you want to keep that cycle going right meanwhile you have concrete and steel which are not only not carbon neutral but are incredibly water intensive and a lot of the cement supply comes from the south part of the world that already doesn't have a, a lot of water so um there's room for everything like you can't make a highway out of wood right like you need concrete and 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 you need you know towers and high rises but in general Literally the only sustainable wood prod, uh, the only sustainable building material is lumber because you can replant and the uh trees before they reach their sort of like 25, 30, 40 year age will be absorbing a lot more carbon dioxide than those older trees that were there before.
1: Nice. Wow, this is I this is great information. I know the I know the viewers are just gonna absolutely love it. Um You know, I mean, we've covered a lot of stuff here, was there anything that we missed or anything that you would want to bring up for our viewers to hear or think that there's something out there that's important for them to know?
0: Yeah, I think in in terms of the data, like what we do with the lumber prices and what we're talking about with housing, something that's really important to note is it's not just the season and the cycle of the economy. When we have circumstances like uh, weather emergencies, there will be a demand like you can really tell a lot by looking at plywood prices. Um, Plywood is used for a lot more things than uh, just building. Um, And when there is destruction or expectation of some kind of storm, a lot of plywood is used, like boarding up windows, and then they have to re-roof after, all that kind of stuff. When In 2020, when there was all that social unrest, all those windows that had to be boarded up, and then when there was repairs going on. So there can be pretty big disruptions to the market, causing a, a, a like a rush on demand uh, that changes the price that nobody knew was going to happen that you can't predict. So the best we can do is use the knowledge of the history, whether it's relevant or not, and what we know about macroeconomic, which is um, somewhat affected by political decisions, and Uh, Hope that, for example, in BC, you know, last year in uh, Washington State, first we had a a huge, terrible drought uh, in the summer and then massive, massive storm, like tons of water came down all at once, which we are still reconstructing now. Um, Nobody could have known that that was going to happen. Part of the Conifex closure announced today is due to inability to ship material. I think, I think you were saying somebody was talking about how they drive by a um, sawmill and, oh my God, there's so much wood, there's wood everywhere. What the, what's going on? They're holding back, they're trying to put the price up. No, that wood is sold and it's waiting to go to the customer. And the customer's freaking out because normally, depending on where you are, it would be like six weeks, let's say six weeks or a couple of months to get your wood. Now you have to add an, an unknown, another six weeks you're watching the price go, and you're like, oh man, why did I order? Or why didn't I order? But like, what is, and I'm, my project, the person is screaming, I can't just go and get more wood The $1,500. It's, it's very, it's a difficult situation, but like for someone like me, who's, who's an observer, uh, I find it very fascinating.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, you know, the, the stuff that takes place within this industry, it's really it, it is pretty incredible there are so many working parts that go into this it is like it's it's hard to like wrap your head around everything that's going on um well i'm just curious because i know i know the viewers are going to be curious too what do you think is going to happen with real estate prices
0: oh if you look at my lumber prices and the data that came out uh, this week from the for the because i look at new home prices existing home prices like what you were saying, we look at new housing starts and, and that kind of thing, right? Renovation or remodeling, by the way, is becoming a larger segment of the lumber demand. And that is data that has not been tracked. Uh, the National Association of Home Builders is working up a metric of uh, how much remodeling activity there is, but there won't be any history. So when you don't have anything to compare it to, it's kind of, right? Um, but the House prices were dropping as my lumber prices were dropping from from like May until uh, this month. And then this latest release that came out, they popped up a little bit. The housing prices, new house prices. Right. So I think right now, though, that is a adjustment to the uh, recent increase in lending rates and mortgages. And it's just kind of like a shuffling that's happening between people who were rushing to try to get into the market. I mean, honestly, if just to be frank, if someone is priced out of getting a mortgage by a point one percent increase, then maybe they shouldn't have been buying a house that expensive in the first place kind of thing. Right. And so then in that vacuum that happened in the past couple of months with a slowdown, other people who either were waiting or for some other reason are coming in. Um, the home, the number of home sales is down, but the price popped up a little bit.
1: Yeah. And that's, and that's something that, um, that I've been trying to follow quickly because, you know, there's so many people who've been talking about the housing crash, right? The, it's going to be worse than the, uh, the 07 or 08 financial crisis. And, and so, you know, I try to take on that idea. Okay, let's see, where's the evidence that's going to that's gonna produce this situation? And, you know, a lot of people are saying it's because of the interest rates rising that are going to cause the situation where people would not be able to afford these homes, or at least be able to afford the payments on it. Um, I've thought about that a little bit. And, you know, with the amount of cash buyers that are coming into the market right now, those guys don't really care what the interest rates are they're willing to buy at this price and that should say a lot to where the where the level is going to be if there are so many cash buyers willing to pay at this price level and and be there at it the yeah kind of, go ahead go sorry ahead.
0: well the thing is that so for we're not we're not in 7 seven we're not in, it's not going to be it's nothing like that at all there's so many things that are different about that about it now than there than it was then One thing that uh, speaks to what you're saying is that um, there has been over these past recent years, a trend for bigger homes. So one of the reasons why the price keeps going up, right? Like the um, actual uh, average price of any home went to something like $330,000 because the homes were getting bigger, like five bathrooms and all that. And we're we're seeing now a reversal of that where sort of like a more normal uh, like a regular size home is becoming um, more fashionable, uh, which will make it more affordable for regular people and also people who maybe don't want to be in the speculation where they're always thinking it's gonna go higher and higher and then someone's gonna be left when it does crash, right? Um, the uh, So so the home sizes are coming back down to a nominal uh affordable and the I look I don't really know about how much the um, all cash buyer but that is a very positive indicator that there is momentum to uh, to desire for continuing to um, more home buying
1: yeah and you know I just kind of look at some of these things you know to because to, you know it's not I'm not trying to be like a predictor of where i think it should go or anything like that but just try to look at like the current trends and and give an idea on what it is that i feel is going to be happening and when it comes to like house prices they have elevated so fast so i mean so high so fast that even if you were to have a significant downturn in prices it would really just be coming back down to normal right i mean even with a significant drop in prices so i see where there could be a lot of room for say a correction in the market, but I just don't see how a crash is really gonna, going to occur when you have such a low amount of inventory and such a high demand for homes. Um, I mean, yeah. I do see where a correction could happen, but I just don't yeah. see where that, that that call for a crash is actually gonna take place.
0: No, it's not gonna crash. Like, like if, if people just look at the month over month, it might look scary, but if you look year over year, or especially like what I was saying about my lumber prices compared to 2020, if you look year over a couple of years, even what you're saying with a correction down, it's still an increase. And with the mortgage rates, like when people have concern over um, whatever, 1%, 2% and the other people are like, well, you know, when I bought in seventies, it was 10%, but the price of the home was 40,000. Right. And, and wages have not multiplied by 10 times. Like in real terms, wages are almost the same as they were in 1973. Right. <laughs> so... So while I'm saying you know maybe if you if the mortgage rate increased by 0.1% and you're priced out maybe you shouldn't be looking at that home but that's <laughs> how much is that that's like $40,000 right? right um so so a certain amount of historical understanding is definitely worthwhile but really watching what's happening at this time and like you were saying yesterday, like there's so much more information available now than there used to be in the past. Right. People can sort of like find out for themselves and obviously be careful because there's people out there saying things that are blatantly wrong. Like, I don't know how they get any viewers at all. Um, and and the real estate thing we talk about uh, nationally, uh, you know, the um, lumber prices are North America. Right. If you're buying uh, Western spruce, if you're on a wholesaler level, buying Western spruce, If you're in Texas or if you're in uh, Prince George in the middle of British Columbia, it's the same price, it's FOB mill, right? Um, But housing is very regional and uh, you can drill down because it comes down to volume, again, volume, right? The big states, Texas, California, they skew what is the price of a home because that's where the high end and fashionable um, uh, more wealthy people are going, right? If you look regionally, some house prices are down below what they were in 2019. It really depends a lot, right? Um, I would look regionally. I would be like U.S. Northeast, Florida can be its whole own thing because it's a lot of speculation. Like Vegas and Florida are always people speculating. And then there's Texas and California, like I was saying, the whole Midwest. If you look at the at it regionally, uh, you can start to get a better idea of what is your appetite for the type of home that you would want, and what's happening specifically with the market,
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely. This has been a great conversation, Keta. I just love talking with you um what? you know I just i could say, I feel like I could just talk all day yeah. um it, you know, I don't know how much time have we, how far have we gone on to this interview now are we I don't
0: know can you see um, I can't. Yesterday, yesterday, it gave me a thing that said nine minutes. We can talk about the duty if you want to. It's not really. Yeah. Do you want to talk about the duty? Yeah, let's do it. Let's talk a little bit more about the duty. I think somebody put, I I can't remember if it was on your YouTube, but I saw a comment today that like it went from 20% to 8%. I can talk about that if you
1: want yeah yeah let's cover that a little bit because i'm sure that's going to be Oh, one good...
0: minute he says one minute <laughs> there's
1: no oh, way it's I could... one minute oh, no, to right your... we're getting close
0: let's do another one after labor like in three weeks like i said okay. and well, do your little if you do your ending end it this time so they know
1: well how about this give a quick shout out to your lumber report so we know know where to go um after we watch the video we we'll know where to, where, to, where we're headed to and then i'll do the outro
0: okay madisonsreport.com Go on the website uh, at the top on the menu, click subscribe, fill out a form, I'll send you a sample, have a look at what the prices that we cover are and what the actual prices for that week are. And then if you want to subscribe to my dashboard, and get the data. Thank
1: you so much, Kata. This has been just a great interview. Great.